welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 174, the 2018 NWTF Convention and Sports Show Recap. And I am your host... And the guy who is obviously back from the convention and obviously stoked. And I think after listening to today's episode, you'll realize why I'm so stoked. But one of the reasons is that we are 21 days, 8 hours, 43 minutes, and 34 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So as I mentioned, I had a great weekend. I was very busy and quite productive as well. Because of what I do 9 to 5, normally on an average workday, the activity tracker on my telephone is telling me things like, Hey, get up and do something, you slug. Even though I go to the gym generally about three times per week and lift weights and do cardio, I still get those messages throughout the day from my phone. So during three full days of walking around the Opryland Resort and Hotel in Nashville, attending seminars, calling contests, walking through the exhibit hall, and meeting many of you guys who listen to the show, each day my phone was telling me, Whoa, whoa, slow down. Is everything all right? Hey, who's chasing you? What can I do to help you? Do I need to call 911? The Opryland is huge. The show is huge. It was a blast. And all that walking around was just getting me primed and ready to chase some turkeys in a few short weeks. So today, I'm going to walk you through my weekend and play some audio for you as well. But before I do, I want to thank those of you guys who listen to the show who took time out of your busy show schedule to contact me and say hello or just stopped me while I was walking from point A to point B. It is nice to see several familiar faces and to catch up with a few of you whom I missed last year as well. That truly is one of my highlights of the show weekend every year. I love to meet you guys. Okay, so the NWTF Convention and Sports Show started for me Friday morning. While I raced through the entrance to the exhibit hall with several hundred people so that I could make my way to the Indian Creek Chokes booth, 
where the guys at Apex were set up selling their TSS shotgun shells. You may remember that I had Nick Charney with Apex Munitions on an episode this past summer talking about TSS shells. Well, this year I got to meet Jason Lonsberry with Apex and talk to him a little bit Friday evening. That is after I bought two boxes of Apex ammo. I'm excited about getting to shoot those new loads, new to me anyway, and I have decided that I'm taking you guys to the range with me when I get ready to pattern the Apex shells from my turkey guns. So that episode will be coming up sometime in the next couple of weeks, and I need to know how these shells pattern from my guns before I take them to the woods, and season starts soon. So I've got to get rolling with that. After leaving the Apex booth, I stopped by the head-to-head turkey calling competition before spending the remainder of the day in seminars on Friday. I didn't stay for the entire competition, but I did stream a little bit of it on Twitter and recorded some audio for you guys as well. And I don't even remember who was calling when I was running the audio recordings, and they don't typically announce names of callers. They'll announce numbers of callers to keep the judges impartial. So I can't even remember who was calling, who I got to record while I was there. But I'll promise you it doesn't even really matter because what you're about to hear is going to sound like a bunch of turkeys anyway. Listen to these guys for a few minutes and I'll catch up with you afterwards. Caller one when you're ready. Cutting of the excited hand. excited hand.
number one, the adult assembly yell. Callers, let's give these guys a round of applause. Good job, guys. Sounded good. All right, guys, what do you think? Caller number one? How about caller number two? Hopefully, if your girlfriend or something like that. Hopefully so. <laughs> Not mine, so. Anyhow, hey, guys, as you know, Single elimination, one of you are going to move forward and one of you are going to go home. Good luck to both of you. It's going to be up to the judges here. We'll let them tally the scores and let's see who is going to move on. All right, moving on. Into round number two is caller number two. And my next set of callers to the stage. So as you can hear, these guys are just insanely good with their calling. You know, it really hurts my feelings to know that I will never call that well, no matter how much I practice, because I just don't have the ear for music and sound that these guys do. Now, just because I'll never sound that good doesn't mean that I won't kill as many or maybe even more turkeys than some of these guys in my lifetime because I don't have to sound like the prettiest turkey in the woods. I just have to sound like the one with the loosest morals. <laughs> Love me and leave me, big boy. I'm over here. <laughs> anyway, a huge congrats to Jesse Martin for winning this year's head-to-head -head competition. And Jesse actually won last year's Grand National Senior Division Championship as well. You know, I like that head-to-head -head competition because the caller who wins the entire competition has to be the best caller each time he steps onto the stage. And it's one thing to be the best caller once, 
but it's another thing to be the best caller through several different rounds of competition. So that head-to-head competition is always a lot of fun for me, and I enjoy it even though I didn't get to stay for the entire thing because one of my goals this year for the show was to attend more seminars and to bring you guys some audio from those seminars over the course of the year. Covering the seminars is a bit challenging for a couple of reasons. First, there is almost always more than one seminar going on at one time. And secondly, the audio quality varies greatly from seminar to seminar. So Friday I was solo at the show because my lovely bride had to work all day and Cameron, the Turkey Hunter podcast intern, which by the way, no one entered the retitle Cameron contest to win a turkey call. So he is still the Turkey Hunter podcast intern until I come up with another title for him, like Cameron the Super Jake. But Cameron was working his 9-to-5 job Friday, so I was there solo. And being solo at the show with a recorder and a microphone is tough because you can't be in multiple places at one time, as you know. And since there's always more than one event going on at one time, you end up missing a lot of stuff. Anyway, I left the head-to-head calling competition and went into my first seminar, which was managing private lands. And at the onset, I thought that the topic may only interest a few of us, mainly landowners, but I was wrong. Rodney McKay, who's a forester with the NWTF, Kaylee Risha, who's a wildlife biologist with the NWTF for the state of New York, and Sean Coleman, a private lands leasing biologist for Texas, gave a very informative presentation that not only appealed to the private landowner, but should be interesting for all of us as well, as they discussed the EQIP program through the NRCS, forest management, and the state programs of using federal monies to lease private lands for public hunting. So did you catch that? The states are using federal monies to lease private lands for public hunting. Now the libertarian in me says that is not good. But the hunter conservationist in me says this is a tremendous opportunity to increase access for hunters And by doing so, making it easier to introduce new hunters to the sport of hunting. I have to let the hunter conservationist in me win this battle. And I'm very interested in learning more about that particular program. So we'll have a show sometime this summer about this topic as many of you have told me that you're interested in legislation of our sport or learning more about the legislation of our sport. And I know that many of you are interested in hunting public land as well. And this topic involves both of those things. After I left that private land management seminar, I went to Will Primos' seminar called Box Call Magic. I always enjoy listening to Will, maybe because he is just genuinely a nice guy, or because I used to eat up the truth series of videos about turkey hunting when I was learning the sport 
or maybe it's both of those reasons, I don't know. But truthfully, I was expecting some good content from this seminar, but I was not expecting to get as much from this personally. And I was wrong about that last expectation. So two seminars, two expectations shattered. I'll never claim to be an expert on box calls or using them or really anything turkey hunting related for that matter. But I actually took away some good info from that seminar. And I'll be bringing the audio of that seminar to you guys at a later date as well. After I ducked out of Will's seminar, I slipped into Eddie Salter's seminar, and Eddie always does a great job of entertaining and engaging the audience, and he gave some great tips to help out the beginners in the audience as well. And I'll be bringing Eddie's seminar to you guys at some point during the summer also. Now, my last seminar of the day was turkey dogging with Turkey Hunter Podcast show guests Steve Hickok and J.T. Byrne. And they also had Scott Bayshore and Marlon Watkins joining them as well. Those four guys did a great job informing and entertaining the audience as well. I have to make time and put forth the effort to go turkey dogging one day. I keep saying I'm going to do it. One of these days I'm going to do it. I think it would be an amazing experience. One thing, however, that I noted in the turkey dogging seminar is that I was about the fourth or fifth youngest person in the crowd, and I'm almost 50 years old. Now, while the job that these modern-day turkey dogging hunters are doing to change legislation and to grow opportunities to enjoy the sport is phenomenal, I would hate to see their efforts fall flat in 20 or 30 years because the participants in the sport are dying off due to the aging of the hunters. Now, nonetheless, it was a great seminar that I really enjoyed, and I hope to bring that to you guys sometime late summer as well, just to kind of get you a little primed for fall turkey hunting. Now, that was it for me for Friday, as my buddy Brian rolled into town and Cameron arrived at the Opryland as well, and it was time to start thinking about a little bit of supper. Saturday morning came pretty dang quickly with Cameron meeting me for a quick interview with Preston Pittman, and then it was back to seminars. Ray I was up first, and Uncle Ray never disappoints. Even though Uncle Ray never disappoints, I had mic issues, and my audio does disappoint. But in his seminar, Ray talked about scenarios and how he handled certain situations while hunting turkeys. Ray is another presenter who does a great job getting the audience involved in his presentations, but especially kids and women. So I enjoyed Ray's presentation as well. Now from there, it was a quick bite for breakfast, and we began to divide and conquer. Cameron jumped into the seminar with the panel of world champion turkey calling champions, which he videoed, and I'll be stripping the audio from that video to bring that to you guys sometime soon. I still haven't even seen that or heard it, but he raved about their seminar. So I'm excited to hear what all is in that. Now, while Cameron was in the Champions panel, I sat in on the Bone Collector seminar, which consisted of political talk for about 30 to 40 minutes out of an hour and 15 minute seminar. Now, In the Bone Collector's defense, 
The seminar was a question and answer session, and the very first question asked of them was politically related. But my stance is generally to keep politics out of the things that I love while I'm enjoying them, whether that is football, hopscotch, badminton, or turkey hunting. It doesn't matter. Now, I did learn this while listening to the political banter for most of their seminar. I believe that Michael Waddell is a fine spokesperson for our sport of hunting. And personally, I'm glad he's jumped into that pool of sharks, so to speak, on behalf of all of us conservationists and hunters. While I personally don't have the time or energy to deal with the misguided logic and lack of reasoning, compromising, and open-mindedness of anti-hunters, I'm glad that Michael Waddell and many of you guys listening to the show do and have. I did manage, however, to squeeze in a question during the Bone Collector Seminar, and here is what they had to say about it. What is one tip or piece of advice that you guys were given when you started turkey hunting that took you to that point where you were consistently killing turkeys? For me, I, I, I definitely can, can feel what you're saying because growing up in Georgia, I remember uh, hearing turkeys. Every time I'd go out, I'd hear two or three turkeys gobbling, which I'd say in the south, if you go up in the south, you know, if you hear one or two or three turkeys, like you're excited, you know, like you know you're in the hunt. But I, I killed a turkey the first time I went hunting. Three years later, I finally killed another one. And so for me, I think when I really got accomplished and felt confident about killing turkeys, and maybe some of you guys who collected quite a bit of beers, is when I started understanding just gut instinct, just where I quit thinking. I didn't, I didn't have to really think about a, an article I read or a video I saw as to where when a turkey will gobble in a situation, it's hard to... It's hard to, to talk about or, or help you understand this, but when all of a sudden that turkey gobbles and you know there's an anxiety like, we're going to kill this turkey. We're going to get on this ridge. We're going to get right here. And immediately you know. And that's when that's when you kind of get that vibe. It, it's, it's hard. It's almost like the best thing you can do is keep hunting and really try to record the mental mistakes, the things that happen, and then try to, when you finally do kill a turkey, whether it's in anywhere in the country, is to see, well, what happened there that didn't happen this last time? And then it almost becomes, your mind becomes like a, a computer processing all the information, but then you don't ever think about it. It just happens. And that, for me, is when I felt like I had to confidently kill turkeys. And some of you guys might know what I'm talking about. You know, you get there, you hoot, and the turkey gobbles. And based on the tree, maybe they're 100 yards different than they were the morning before. And it's just like... I'm sitting there with a nick or T-bone or maybe my wife, and I'm like, we got his butt this morning. I know what he's going to do. I know what he's going to do. Or you, you're calling a turkey down on the bottom, and, and you, you know, you yep soft at him, and he cuts you off. You just get that instinct. And then also, too, another thing that's really pushed the edge over that's really controversial is the, the use of decoys now as far as uh, aggressively kind of, lack of better words, a puppet show, which can be very dangerous. We have learned... Uh, that really you can truly manipulate and make a turkey completely dumb, even the smartest Longsburg turkey, based on his uh, ego and his macho man and that protect him of that flock visually. So you use what he's got best 
going for him, which is his eyesight, to manipulate him based on, um, you know, just showing him a decoy. Not putting it out hoping he sees it. I mean, you're, you're moving and you're showing him that decoy. So there's been a lot of different techniques that's been developed the last 10 years that's really helped fill a lot of tags. And so I think just having an open mind to, to everything, you know, and, hunt, and, and also hunting the way you want to hunt. Because some people don't want to hunt that way. I just like to hunt, you know, whatever's legal and get it, get it flopping. That's why I like killing. Yeah, I think that's what I was going to say, too, is just being aggressive. I think a lot of people sit back and call and call and call and try to get them to come to them every time. And if you know that bird's out there in front of you and you got a good decoy, you know, and you think you're in a safe spot where nobody's going to shoot your decoy, you just get on your hands and knees and get dirty and make your way up through there. Because nine times out of ten, if you got that decoy in front of you, you're crawling through there. That turkey, like Michael said, sees a little bit of movement and then he sees that red head on that decoy. I mean, he's going to come and take a look. And even if he stays out there, he's going to let you crawl in a little bit closer. So. Um, I think rather than just sitting with your back against a tree and just sitting there and yelping, 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 hoping one shows up, you know, if you hear one gobble, it gives you that, gives you that uh, kind of courtesy gobble when he, you know, just gives you one gobble and you never hear him again. You know he's there, so get on your hands and knees, get dirty, and crawl up through the woods until you see him, get a visual on him, and then pop that decoy up and just keep moving. And it's amazing what happens. I mean, once you get a little bit aggressive with them, you can really get a lot more turkeys killed. And, like Michael said, some people some people enjoy sitting against a tree and calling right into the decoy. I, I love doing that where I where I hunt in Minnesota. It's just really small pieces of land, so you can't chase them hard. So I set up a blind, put out a couple decoys, and it's a waiting game, you know. And shoot them with the bow, they come right in and whack them right there. But you know, if you got a good chunk of ground that you can run and gun and move around on, I think being really aggressive, you know, Michael's definitely taught taught us that and, and uh, getting down and. Getting your knees wet and getting dirty and getting snow on your on your pants is, is the way to go, you know. So I think you definitely kill more turkeys that way. Yeah, just hanging around him and listening to him. I, that's what I was going to add to that. Being aggressive, like I've always been the type, especially turkey call. I'm like, man, I, I had the mindset of I don't want to screw up. I don't want to screw up. So I, I wouldn't hardly ever call or I wouldn't move around. I, you know, I wouldn't try to go to him or sneak in or wouldn't try to use a decoy or whatever. But you know, just watching certain people and especially listening to him. Uh, I, a, a, a saying that I always use in archery is uh, shoot maybe, no shoot, no maybe. So, I mean, we only got so much time out there in the woods, and sometimes you just got to make it happen. Otherwise, you're just going to be sitting there and saying, I should have, could have, would have. You know, hindsight's always 2020. So, uh, don't be, don't be afraid to, to push it a little bit. Hopefully, you caught that at the very beginning. That was T-Bone saying that he's still waiting on that one piece of information or that one tip that'll take him to where he's consistently killing turkeys. But Michael Waddell answered the question first, and then Nick answered next, and then T-Bone was last there. So hopefully that was something that you guys can take away, put in your pocket, put in your turkey vest, and use this coming season to help you have a little bit more success. After leaving the Bone Collector Seminar, it was time to stop by the Turkey and Deer Taxidermist Contest where I caught up with the winner of the Master of Masters competition, Chip Hayes. Chip had a beautiful turkey mount that he entered and won with on display and he obviously was very proud of that and he should have been. It was fantastic. It was a beautiful piece of artwork. Soon after that was lunchtime and then time for Cameron to get to pot call magic with Will Primos and for me to head to decoys and calling with Matt Moret. Matt did a great job also and I hope to bring the audio from his seminar to you guys sometime later this year as well. And when we finished up with those last seminars, we actually went to the Grand National Senior Division Turkey Calling Contest 
While Cameron and I both recorded the entire contest, I will not be playing that for you guys in its entirety. In fact, I'm not going to play it at all today because the show this week would just be too long. So I'm actually going to bring audio from the Grand National Calling Championship to you guys most likely next week. And we'll listen to some of that then. Those guys are unbelievably good. I mean, it is just mind-boggling how good they are at working turkey calls. After all the excitement from the calling championship died down, I called it a day and got ready for the last day of the show in Nashville, which was our day inside the sports show on the exhibit hall floor. I always enjoy that part of the show each year as it gives me an opportunity to catch up with some old friends, make some new friends, and kind of see what is new in the turkey hunting product world. And this year, I sent Cameron around with a microphone to record some one-question interviews just like I did last year. I had one-question interviews for a lot of the pros. Cameron did that for me this year, and I'm going to play some of those for you right now. First up is Ernie Calandrelli to participate in Cameron's one-question interview. Hey everybody, this is Cameron and I'm here with Ernie Calandrelli with Quaker Boy Game Calls and I'm going to ask him the one question we're asking. Ernie, when you set up on a gobbling turkey, what are all the factors that you take into account before you actually sit down to that bird? Well, how far away from, how far away from him I am, how close I can get to him, uh, what the situation is, whether I want to be alongside of him or above him. Uh, am I setting up in the field? Am I setting up in the woods? Uh, you know, there's a lot of factors that vary because one of the things when, when that, that turkey has to feel comfortable coming to you. I mean, you can't just set up anywhere a lot of times, but if he's fired up enough, he may do it, you know, things differently. But for me, I want to make sure that I have the proper setup. Uh, because that's a lot of your hunt right there. If he's comfortable coming to you and he's been through there a number of times before, that'll make him a little easier coming in. Or if you can get in between where he is and where he wants to go. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Great answer. Now, I like what Ernie had to say about the gobbler having to be comfortable with where we want him to go. That is extremely important. He is not going to feel comfortable walking across the runway at Chicago's O'Hare Airport to get to you. So we've got to make that turkey comfortable going where we want him to go. Next up is Jimmy Primos. Hey everybody, I'm here at the NWTF convention with Jimmy Primos. And I'm going to ask him one quick question right here. So Jimmy, when you're setting up on a gobbler and you hear him, he's out there gobbling and you're looking for your setup, what are all the variables you take into account before you actually sit down on the ground and start calling that turkey? Well, first thing I do, you know, get the direction of the turkey. And I try and spit, try to figure out how, where he's going to come in from. In other words, I want it as open as I can, because a lot of times those gobblers will sneak in on you. And then the next thing I do, which is probably the most important thing, is find a place for me to sit down and get ready for him. So... You know, I tell you, setting up on a turkey, knowing the land, knowing how the turkeys are going to respond, uh, how they're going to come in, is probably 80 to 90% of being successful. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. I like what Jimmy said there, and it is so very true. Properly setting up on a turkey is 80 to 90% of being successful on a hunt. There's no way around it. Doesn't matter how good your calling is, you don't set up where that turkey wants to go or is comfortable going. Chances are not in your favor for killing that turkey. All right, next I have Scott Hook with Hook's Custom Calls. Hey everybody, I'm here with Scott Hook of Hook's Custom Calls at the NWTF convention. And I'm going to ask him a quick question, and that question is, before you set up on a turkey that's gobbling out there, what are all the variables that go through your head when choosing your setup? Cover, terrain, obstacles between myself and the turkey, that's probably the most important. And I always want to be in a spot I feel like the turkey is comfortable coming to. There's been lots of times over the years I thought I had a good spot. Call the turkey 30, 40 minutes, hour maybe. He gobble, but he wouldn't come. I have got up and literally just reset 50 yards different, no close to him, and he'd run right in for some reason. I wish I could tell you why, but I can't. I just know that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I really like what Scott had to say as a reminder to all of us, and that is, Really, don't be afraid to reset. If we set up in the wrong spot on a turkey, let that turkey ease off a little bit and then determine a different approach, a different area near where you are where that turkey will feel comfortable coming to you. Okay, here is Tony Reynolds with Reynolds Custom Calls. Hey everybody, I'm here with Tony Reynolds with Reynolds Custom Turkey Calls. And I'm about to ask him the question. So Tony, when you're in the woods and there's a gobbler out there and he's gobbling on his own, you haven't called yet, and you're about to set up on him, what goes through your head about where to set up, what steps do you take to make sure you set up in the best position to where you can kill that turkey? Well, a turkey, usually I try to find out, make sure there's no gullies or creeks or fence lines between you, him and I, or also what's camouflage around me or if he's going to come up a knoll where I can shoot just over that knoll, make sure my range is set. Then I make sure I've got camouflage behind me. The most important thing, if it's no cover, like if a tree, make sure the tree's wide as my shoulders if I can. If not, make sure I've got some brush around me. If I have time, I, I carry zip ties with me. And I grab a bush, snip it down with my snips, and zip tie it in front of me a little bit or something if I have time. If not, sometimes I'll even stand behind a tree and have the gun around the tree. If I, if I know he's coming, I can hear him coming. I don't even sit down. I stand up and shoot beside the tree. So it determines if the, if the turkey's coming, is hot, or if it's hot, is let the turkey determine. All right, we lost a couple of seconds right there at the end of Tony's interview. I think Cameron got a little bit too antsy with the stop button on the recorder. But nonetheless, there are two things there that stood out to me. One is that Tony looks for camouflage behind him, bushes behind him, something to help break up his outline or help him to blend in a little bit better. The other thing that Tony said is don't be afraid to stand up behind a tree and kill a turkey. And that is great advice. Okay, so here is Uncle Ray to answer Cameron's one question. Hey everybody, I'm here with Ray I with World Slam Adventures and I'm going to ask him our one question. So Ray, when you are setting up 
on a gobbling turkey, what are all the factors you're going to take into account before you actually sit down to that bird? A lot of variables there, a lot of different, uh, mm, depends on the situation, time of day, type of terrain. However, we're, we're going to do this as you're in the timber and you hear a turkey gobbling. I'm going to move as close as I can get to him as the terrain will allow. I'm going to set up, depending on the sun direction, hopefully that it's in his face, if possible. can't always do that. And I'm going to try to make it as easy as possible for that turkey to go from his location to where I'm set up. If I can find a logging road or something that he's close to that's easy access, a little hump where I can't see him until I can kill him. But I love to get tight. The tighter you get on turkeys, the better the calling works and the more success you'll have in those type of setups. But when it comes to setups, it depends on every situation is different, every setup is different, every hunting area. The terrain is the big thing. The terrain makes all the difference in the world if you're hunting out west or you're hunting in the swamps or you're hunting in the ridges. But the ridge country, I grew up hunting the Missouri Ozarks, and that's hand-to-hand combat. That's almost, you know, bayonet type thing. You got to get, when I get one on, on a ridge, on a, on a bench someplace where I can get in tight, I'll try to get 30, 50 to 30 yards from him on a setup before I'll even call to him. Because hens do go to gobblers. And if I can make a call before I move up and get him to respond, then I'll be real careful and I'll close the distance after I make him gobble. And then I'll get really tight and then I'll hit it hard and just raise my gun. I'm right on it. And I did that in North Missouri in open country. I used what I learned in the Ozarks for the train, even though it was open fields. We seen a gobbler strutting in a pasture top, and there was some ditches full of trees and stuff, and the guys had been trying to call him across on the other side, and one guy went around trying to call him up across the field. As soon as I saw him, I went down in the ditches, stopped before I went down, cut and yelped, and he gobbled. I went down to the bottom, went up. I came up, and I could see his fan, and I backed against a tree where I could just see the crest of the hill, and I called, and he came. I saw the fan coming, and then he ran his head up, and I killed him. That, that type of setup. Yeah. That's all I got for you right now. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That was great information. I'm picking up little things in all of these answers that I hope you guys are picking up on. The direction of the sun, and we want the sun and the turkey's eyes if possible, and that is spot on. It's not always possible, but if we can make it happen, then we need to make it happen. We want the sun in their eyes, not in ours. Next up, Cameron has Chris Parrish. Hey everybody, I'm here with Chris Parrish at the National Wild Turkey Federation convention. And I'm going to ask him one quick question. And that question would be, before you set up on a gobbling turkey, what are all of the different scenarios and ideas that come into your head? What, Before you actually sit down, what all do you go through to set up on that bird? Well, the first thing I'm going to do, if I know where the turkey's located, I definitely want to assess whether I need to move on him and get closer or whether I need to back off. A lot of times you need to back up. You know, uh, look the area over. Take just a few seconds to look things over and see if, in fact, the turkey's got a place to come up through. Can he see too far or is it too thick? You know, take a little bit of time to put yourself in the best-case scenario. So many times we strike a turkey and we just plop down right there and, Sometimes it's by accident and it's in the right spot, and the next time you didn't really assess it, and maybe you needed to move 50 yards one way or the other. So take a little bit of time. I'm always looking for that perfect spot where, before I ever call to locate the turkey, I want to have a little bit of something in my mind, like I'll look over and pick a tree out here or there, going whatever direction he gobbles, I'm going to move to there and set down. And then if he's far enough away, I can make an adjustment. I'll make a little look. And I will try to put myself where, one, the turkey can't see 300 yards when he's coming in so that I'm pinned down. 
or two, I don't surprise him and he pops up over the hill and I can't get my gun moved on him. I want that happy medium, that fine line there. So, you know, take your time. Don't get in a big rush. Put yourself in the right position. That way you don't have to reposition. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Now, I definitely agree with Chris on this one point right here. We typically, when we're hunting woods, we do not want the area that the bird is going to be approaching us from to be too open. Even if we're using decoys, if it's too open, the gobbler does not have to walk into the area to investigate to see where that hen is. If an area is very open, that gobbler can see where we're calling from and see that there is no turkey walking around over there. And a lot of times, that is just enough to hang him up. I love that point that Chris brought up. Next up is Eddie Salter. Hey everybody, I'm here with Eddie Salter now, and I was just going to ask him the question I've been asking, and that is, when you set up on a goblin turkey, and he's out there, before you sit down to call that turkey, what, are, what do you do to prepare? Like, what steps do you take to make sure you're giving yourself the best chance at that bird? Well, first of all, you know, you, you don't want to get too close to one, because you got to realize he's up in the tree. But I do get, I do set up, and I try to set up with a tree behind my back, but I look at what area did I think that the turkey's coming to? And a lot of times, you know, I'm a mouth call man. If I call, I put my hand up and call, it's going gonna, it's gonna to throw my sounds. I'm just so used to doing it, it's going to throw it to the left. Nine times out of ten, wherever you, where your calls is going to, that turkey's going to come down and look for that hen. And, uh, you know, when he gets to coming in and, and you set up and you put your left arm in the position where you got about 40 to 50 yards, you need to have it, some open areas in there if you're using a decoy, and you need to set up with your left shoulder where you think, if you're right-handed, now if you're left-handed, you gotta, you got to go to your right shoulder towards him, but you set up where that turkey's going to come down through that. And then when I run a slate a lot of times, I'll take that slate and I'll turn it to the our glass call. This is the glass call here. I will turn the... Because the sound chambers are coming out of the box, bottom of the call right there. We, we engineered that. A box call, too, you can take it up. Because many a time when I was a young hunter, I had a lot of blood in my eyes. And I would set up on turkeys if I had my buddy. But I would set up most of the time where I thought the turkey would come to. Because my sounds were going that way. I made a lot of buddies mad with me when I do that. <laughs> Thank you, Eddie. I got to tell you that. This might be my favorite piece of advice that I have ever gotten from any of these turkey hunters that I've talked to on the show or interviewed at the NWTF convention or anywhere else. I love him saying, throw your voice to call a turkey to you instead of your hunting buddy. So for all of my hunting buddies this spring, just know that I am sorry in advance. All right. Last but not least is Philip Vanderpool. Hey everybody, I'm here with Philip Vanderpool now, and I'm going to ask him the question, and that is, if you're out in the woods, you hear a turkey out there gobbling, what are the steps you're going to take before you actually sit down to start trying to call that bird in? Well, I guess my first steps I'd be looking at is probably the terrain structure on just how far I can get in on that turkey, because I feel like... The closer you can get on that turkey, 
without spooking him off the roost, and, and I assume that's what you're talking about in a roosting situation, but I want to get in there and get set up and look at the obstacles around me, make, try to make sure there's not, a, you know, a brush pile or something like that or a little bluff line or anything that's going to keep him from coming in to me. And when you turkey hunting, when I go in there, I'm probably going to know a little bit about the lay of the land, if if you if you know what I'm saying there. But I want to look. I want to get in between where I think he's at and where he wants to be. That's 90% of it. And then, you know, you can set up and hit him with what calls that you want to hit him with, and take his temperature. You can start out with some soft three yelps if you're that close, where he can hear those. Maybe some yelps. Hey, if the turkey is jumping all over your call, there's no sense in throwing the book at him. But I'm a firm believer that you can shoot any turkey that's out there if you'll get him in between where he's at and where he wants to go. And normally he's going to go where the hens are going to go, which is usually through a, a feeding area of some kind or water, and, and where they're going to hang out for a while. And that's just kind of my tip of the day is just anytime you can like that and get set up where you think you can get get a shot at the turkey. You want you don't want to set up if you can, can keep from it to where he don't just pop up on you. You want to be able to get visibility on that turkey as quick as you can. And that's that's my tip of the day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much, Philip. I like what Philip says here about getting a visual on the turkey, that we don't want the turkey just to pop up on us. Now, that does contradict a little bit with saying that we don't want to set up in an area that's too open, but I think what it should tell you is that there should be a happy medium in there, and that's what we're looking for is that spot that's a happy medium. Now, sometimes the terrain does not lend itself to that. We just have to be prepared to kill a turkey at five yards when his head pops up over the ledge. But in an ideal world, we would like that perfect blend of not being too open, but not being too thick or too hilly where that turkey does just pop up on us. And that is it. That right there was about 18 hours of turkey over a three-day period of time wrapped into one week's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. I hope that you guys enjoyed those highlights. I'm excited to be bringing you more coverage of the seminars over the coming months. I think that there's some really good content in there that can help some of us newer turkey hunters and still serve as a great refresher for those of us with some gray in our turkey beards. Hey, before I cut you loose for the week, will you do me one huge favor? Forward this week's episode to two of your turkey hunting buddies via text message using your podcast player app. It is really easy. So there is a share button, and usually that share button in your podcast player app is three circles that are connected by two lines. And if you'll click on that share button and choose the text or MMS option to forward this show to two of your turkey hunting buddies, that would be great. You never know. Some of the info that your turkey hunting buddy learns from this episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast may keep them from messing up a hunt 
that you're both enjoying together. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.